Hello, welcome back to my channel. Uh, my name is Kara Burrell. Sometimes I go by Nuanto, and sometimes I am so honored and lucky to be joined by the one and only Dylan from the, let's see, how do we recognize you? We'll just say you're just a normal person who happened to be cast in a really cool thing. For, for real. For, for real. For Jubilee's Mormons versus Ex-Mormons. <laughs> Welcome to Mormon History Hoedown, Dylan Conrad. Thank you. So happy to be here. And all the way from Los Angeles, California, I have the one and only Shalise <laughs> from Cults to Consciousness. Yeah. Here in my home studio as well. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Shalise said that right before we started, I said, ready to rock and roll and the baby kicked yeah. you don't know Felice is <laughs> very pregnant 99% pregnant <laughs> <laughs> he's ready to rock and roll too yeah. yes last trip before baby comes and Shalise is such a pal of mine that she even came for my birthday which is today yes. so we uh just filmed a episode with uh Dylan over on Cults to Consciousness hopefully everyone came from there over to here. And if you're new to this channel, that you're subscribed because I'm just about to hit 50,000 subscribers, which I know is Yay! not a lot to hold the consciousness no, people who are just in your black era, but I'm halfway <laughs> to my first one. So please subscribe to this channel. And without further ado, we're going to get into the subject of the day. Uh, we talked a little bit about on Shalise's video on Cults to Consciousness with Dylan about just the really damaging messages that have permeated the Mormon culture of the doctrines and what's come over the pulpit of the messages that people are given about people who are queer, same-sex attracted, whatever you want to say, whatever words you want to use. And we talked a little bit about Dylan's story and various things within Mormon culture that and doctrine that might be changing, like Charlie Bird and his husband that he is gay married to, if that wasn't clear from saying Charlie, who's a male name, married to a husband, if that wasn't clear. Charlie Bird is a Mormon who, influencer who is gay married in the church, and he is allowed to hold callings and take the sacrament. So wondering if things kind of been kind of been changing within the culture. So mm -hmm. a lot has been going on in Mormonism around these different queer issues. And I thought it would be great to have Dylan on and talk a little bit more about your experiences being on that Jubilee video and overall what led you to be one of those people who just gets married in a, a regular Mormon marriage and kind of what led you out of the church and led you to recognize that you were um, attracted to men and wanted to end up smooching them for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thanks so much for letting me interrogate you here with Shalise. And Let's do it let the audience know a little bit more about you. So I like to think of like, what's when people kind of hear your story on Jubilee, what are some of the first questions? What are people curious to know about you first and foremost about your story? Well, I think the thing that probably people would be pretty surprised by is that when I applied for the Jubilee story uh, for Mormons versus ex-Mormons, I told them, in my application, but also my interview over Zoom that I don't have any social media following. I don't have any clout. I don't know who you're looking for in terms of doing this, but I really just applied because I am an ex-Mormon who 
maybe has a little bit of a unique story, but everyone's got a unique story. But I think mine's kind of fun, a little bit less, I don't know, sad and dour. I want to have some little bit of level levity mm-hmm. with things. And, um, but I also want to be able to sit into a, a group of people and, and just share in the conversation totally. and to be a part of it. Uh, so it was so cool for me as I applied and then kind of forgot about it. Cause I was like, I'm just going to see how far I get with this. <laughs> and then a couple months later, I get an email saying, Hey, would you want to do a zoom interview with us? And I was like, what? There's no way. And we set that up and that went really well. It was kind of like an audition. They would ask you a few questions, um, certain prompts related to, to gauge your understanding of the LDS church, but also just like if this would be a good fit. And I guess I impressed them because about a month later, or I maybe didn't impress them, maybe they just ran out of people that they were like missing their calls <laughs> or something. I don't know. But I got told that I was going to, they, they wanted me to be on the panel and I was going to be flying out to L.A., on January 5th and then film on January 6th. And as soon as I got the email, I told myself before, I was like, if I get the email to go, I'm going to go because that's what the universe wants for me. And I'm just going to do it regardless of my clout, my platform, how much screen time I end up getting, whatever. If it turns into a total shit show, I'm just going to go and I'm going to experience that. And I did. And it was awesome and crazy and completely draining of all energy by the time we were done. um, There was such a palpable sense of tension in certain parts, but also really good empathy and emotion and also just some what the fuck moments. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even believe certain things were just said. Yeah. And I feel like the Jubilee cast, they had a little bit of everything, a little bit different representation. Uh And they you know, obviously had the Mormon cast where they were like, we'll have a black person and then the stereotypical white guy. And then we will have a one woman to represent that demographic. And then they had Timber, who is like a gay man who is married to a woman now who left the gay lifestyle. And so and a convert to the church. Yeah. And mm. uh, he said he mixed, grew up in what, a, a like a mixed faith member family. I believe so. Yeah. Converted. Right. Yep. So it feels like they kind of wanted the the opposite of Timber in your case in a yeah. way where yeah. they had somebody who had the opposite kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So I know that you've, um, like we've mentioned, were married to a woman, had two kids, and Timber kind of did the flip opposite of that where he got married to a woman being gay to have kids and kind of wanted to have the the reverse of that kind of story. I feel like that's probably why they wanted to cast you at that um section and you were very honestly like nuanced and empathetic and understanding um kind of living in both those worlds and understanding thank you that was my goal i definitely did not want to be someone who commandeered the conversation i think in my family circles and some friend circles i'm kind of known as the one that talks a lot monologues a lot knows a lot about movies and tv and music and uh just the constant things that i'm interested in but when it came to the jubilee episode i just wanted to be a part of the conversation and provide my two cents when prompted and felt like it was a good place to to be. And I really feel like I accomplished that goal. And I, and I'm actually really thankful after watching the video that I think 99.94% of the comments have nothing to do with me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's just so fun because I get to read the comments, but not 
have to be like, wow, I, I uh, kind of stepped in it because a lot of people, there are only eight people, but we know there are some people that definitely stepped in it. <laughs> yeah. What was, what was the one thing if maybe there's more, what was the biggest thing that irked you or had you like screaming internally during that whole thing? Oh, it was definitely when Cardin decided to use the time of the prompt for the LGBT members of the panel, but also for LGBT people that are listening to the the, the episode uh, to talk about his his illness, his mm. his leukemia. Um, I felt like when it came to Cardin's approach, I feel like there was always going to be a time during that filming where he was going to bring it up. And I truly feel like he picked the worst possible time. And yeah. I just don't know why he decided to do that other than, and I've seen his, his ward radio channel. It does feel like there are some narcissistic tendencies to, if the conversation is not going in the direction that he wants it to go, this is the perfect thing to do. I'm going to bring yeah, it to me. Totally. But then when he did say, if I could trade a little oh. bit of Timber's gayness. Which is just a little bit. I, that was so, I mean. and mm. What does a little bit even mean? And, right. And, and there are talks on Ward Radio about how the editing was not done in their favor. But that is a direct, uncut, perfectly presented quote that had yeah. no other context other than what was said. Yeah. And the context literally being that it was a trial. That being gay is a trial. and. Leukemia for Cardin is a trial. And Jill could only take it so long before she absolutely had to stop him right there. Yeah. So we were very graceful in our approach. Yeah. We let him have his moment. We uh -huh. let him have his emotion. Um, nobody was going to tell him that what he was feeling wasn't real and wasn't genuine. Of course. But it was the wrong time. It absolutely was the wrong time and he needed to read the room better. Okay, so many things I want to ask you about. So we know that Jill said, I got to stop you right there. Um, being gay is not a trial. And she did a beautiful monologue that was extremely articulate. And Word Radio was like, she was so rude and argumentative and stuff. And I was like, for what Jill has lived through and what she just heard, like she was calm, concise and wonderful and beautiful, obviously. But I'm curious to know from you, if you had that moment and Jill didn't take it and you also had that experience of having attraction to men and uh, what, what would you have said to Cardin if Jill didn't say anything? I, I, I think the main thing would have just, honestly, you know, the main thing would have been, I would have went to Jubilee and said, Hey, Cardin, do you, do you think you just want to like cut this out? Cause this is bad. <laughs> like I can even have empathy for Cardin in that situation where it's just like, bruh, speaking like he would speak to me, dude, bruh. Do you think that like that you should just probably just we'll cut that because that was a that was a bad moment, dude. But like he doubled down on it on Word Radio. He did. He really did. Um, and we can all see from the comments on that video, on his reaction video, and also Timber's video, there are a lot of people that do not see the same side that Cardin sees. Yeah, and so one thing I thought was interesting is you know right when Jill started talking and you jumped in and you're like I think Jill has a problem because you kind of codified it as an illness. 
Remember when you kind of said that? Mm-hmm. The reason why I said uh, codified or codified as an illness is because Cardin had already said it at least twice. I know. That didn't make it to the filming. Uh... And I noticed that it was going to be a little bit more of a theme. So I decided to put it in there as well because I really at that point had no idea exactly if it would fit or what it even meant. But I was just watching. You should have winked at the camera to be like, <laughs> you're codifying it. And, and I will be the first to say, if people have watched the Jubilee video, I am the first one to say codify in that video. Huh, and he picked up on it. No, he. I'm the first one to say it in the video, but he was the first one to say it in filming. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah so I think there's a discussion between like him trying to say, I was just saying it's a trial that we all have to overcome, and then he's like, I wasn't comparing you to like a cancer. It's like you're splitting hairs you're saying that it's a trial that needs to be overcome and it's also your leukemia isn't something that's like going to keep you out of your temple or you know Mm -hmm. living with your family forever yep there's Um, no way i could have said any better than jill where she made absolutely clear to say that being gay was not a trial being gay in the church is the trial and how we are treated and how people are treated as not even family there was even some of the filming that's talked about in the Mormon stories reaction about how um, growing up LGBT youth feel as if they're like the stray dog in the family. Mm -hmm. There's, you can, you can pet the dog, you can feed the dog, you can have some fun moments with the dog. The dog is not allowed to come inside. The dog is not allowed to have a place at the table and it's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was so important for, her to have that moment and for Cardin to understand that this was not something that we were just going to take lying down. And mm-hmm. we were, I feel very graceful in our, in our reaction. Mm-hmm. Shalice, do you have any other thoughts about that segment of the well, video? I mean, I feel like you guys covered it perfectly, but I want to know more about your childhood specifically and that statement of the stray dog. Did you ever have any of those types of feelings where you felt sort of outcast or were you not very vocal about the way that you felt towards other men? What was that like for you growing up? No, it was a little bit different for me. And I really appreciate that question because my my parents, my mom and my dad both saw in me someone who just was going to march the beat of their own drum mm-hmm. when it came to what music I liked to listen to, when it came to movies I liked to watch and also getting into theater, into plays musicals, all of that. I I watched the Oscars every year and was very involved in celebrity culture and gossip and marriages and Hollywood and stuff. And I think, to their credit, they always let me pursue my passions without getting in the way of like, Dylan, we shouldn't be, you know, like, do you really need a second, like, do you really need Britney Spears' second CD for your birthday? Do you really need (laughs) another Britney Spears poster from Classic Skating or whatever? Like, I had, like, birthday parties and my friends would give me Britney Spears posters and my parents were just like, whatever. Like, maybe, maybe he just finds her totally hot. And Uh and maybe at the time, like, I mean, I could definitely say that Britney Spears was very attractive. Uh Um, But I think at the back of their mind, which I think maybe for a lot of LDS parents is, we'll let them approach their interests with a lot of openness, just as long as they give us grandchildren someday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just because like, I think they could, they could see it where if they made it a big deal, if they made it a problem, then I might choose to rebel and choose to get upset about things, but they always let me be me. Mm -hmm. And I am forever grateful to my parents for allowing me to do that. I grew up in a very, 
kind and loving household. Um, but when it came to issues regarding gay and lesbian relationships, um, that was just not something that was going to make it to the celestial kingdom. Eternal families were built upon a married man, a married woman with children. Yeah. And for me, uh, just to jump into almost like, you know, finding out and kind of coming into my own as far as my sexuality. And I was telling Kara um, over Instagram, it all started with the movie Twister in 1996. And people are probably watching this like, well, I'm like, why, why Twister? Um, I would have been seven when Twister came out. I wasn't allowed to see it in theaters because it was PG-13 and it was just like not going to be seen at that time. But when the VHS came out about, I would say like nine or 10 months later, um, I got it from the video store. And I remember telling my mom in the car and holding it up, I would go, there's no turning back. And little did I know that when I first watched Twister, and I remember seeing Helen Hunt come out on the screen in her white wife beater. And my even seven-year-old brain was like, that's an attractive woman. I, I, I like her. I think she's really cool. That's a fun little thing that she's got going on as a storm chaser. But when Bill Paxton came on screen, and there were certain scenes, especially the scene, and this is going to just, I'm just going to totally say it. Um, when they're in the truck and Bill, Bill Paxton's character is named Bill has commandeered the truck, her trucks, cause her truck has like all the, um, equipment and stuff. Uh-huh. And she wants him to cross over into a field cause the tornado is coming. And she goes, you got to cross over in that field. And he goes, I know. And she goes, have you lost your nerve? And he goes, huh, tighten your seatbelt. And he grabs her seatbelt and yanks it up. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> because in that moment, I realized that I wanted to be Joe. I wanted to be Helen Hunt. I uh-huh. wanted to be the guy or the girl in the passenger seat where the guy knows exactly where he's going. He's going to protect me. He's going to protect me from the storm. Yeah. And then when it got to the end of the movie where they get into the barn and he knows exactly what leather straps to put her into to protect her from the twister. (laughs) That was it. That was it. So I knew from a very early age, let's say at seven, that Bill Paxton, that kind of man, that is what I was attracted to for sure. But I also could hold space for Joe in her wife beater and <laughs> looking good with her blonde hair and running from tornadoes. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't it wasn't um a you know wholly attracted to men versus no attraction attraction to women, but the the pull, the desire to men was a lot stronger. Okay. And going, you know, back to my family and also just people that I grew up with in the church and what I was being told um as a youth is. I I was always very small in frame. I was always pretty short. And so for me, it was taught, it was almost like spoon fed to me, like, oh no, you're just uh you're just jealous of these men. Mm. You're just jealous of these men that have broader shoulders or that are taller or more masculine. It's something that you want to embody, not you want to be with. And it actually wasn't until my Mormon mission in Houston that I got to the mission field and saw these men in white shirts and ties. And was like, no, I'm attracted to these men. Right. I want to be with some of these men. I want to date these men. I want to kiss that one over there at Zone Conference. Like, yeah. that's what it was. 
Um, but then there were also some sister missionaries on my mission where I was like, I'm t- there was one sister missionary that when she walked into her first, our, our first, uh, district meeting, she had like, uh, glittery tights on and she had like red lipstick and she was very like, not typical sister missionary. It was just a little bit like, she was a little bit more of like a goth, like beat march the beat of her own drum nice. kind of girl. And I was like, I, I, I get that. I yeah. like that. So for me, it's just always been just fun to find out like what I'm attracted to, what I like. I'm not going to be able to put myself into a specific box, but um, I did. After my mission, I chose to continue to, and I had always had before, date women. And I used to uh, work at a credit union. And one day my uh, eventual wife would come into that credit union as a, as a member and I would get her number and we would date and we would eventually get married in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't something that I was uh, suppressing. Thankfully, I know that there are so many men and women who they have to feel like they have to play a part. Right. And it's a complete facade. And thankfully, I can hold space for those people, but also be thankful that I did not have to play that game. The intimacy that I had with my wife was real. Mm. We had two biological children. Um, I enjoyed being with her in that way. Uh, But I was always thinking um, about my attraction to men, going on dates with, with other women and also eventually my wife. I would find myself looking more at men than women. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when women are, are married or dating men, they're like, well, I hope he's not looking at other girls. I'm like, <laughs> oh, got you covered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I have a follow-up question. Oh, do you, did you want to go? I'm sure you have questions. a lot so of questions. Go, Shalice, go. Well, my first question, something that hit me was how your parents or those around you are like, no, you just like to admire men or you want to be like them. And I'm wondering if that invalidation caused you to... I know you just said you weren't repressed, but caused you to kind of shift gears. And within that, if you hadn't been raised in the Mormon church, do you think you still would have gone the route of marrying a woman? Do you think that was part of your journey, was meant to be part of your journey? Or do you think you would have embraced being gay right away? I think I would have embraced being gay right away. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, My question has to do with you and your wife as much as you feel comfortable talking about this because i can't remember if we said it in this podcast or the last but generally the idea about people who are in mixed orientation marriages and just how much um heartbreak there is for like the spouse um on the other end and i was just curious if you felt like in your marriage you were not able to you know give your wife the affection that you felt like she deserved um, and ultimately, like it wasn't going to be fair to her to stay in this marriage when you're going to be having these lifelong feelings for other men. Or if that was something that um, I know you mentioned to me that like you hadn't even experimented with men yet, but that was something you're kind of banking your life on. So what yeah. was that experience with with your wife and your marriage and your chemistry? Well, first of all, I think it's truly important to be able to hold space for the experiences and conversations with the women that are involved with these kinds of things. We usually talk a lot. And I mean, case in point right here, you're talking with someone who is a man who is sharing his story, but I would be very curious to hear uh, Timber's wife's story, be able to to have ward radio, even give her a platform. I don't think that's going to happen. I just don't think that's going to happen. So 
first of all, yes, I think it's very important to be able to see it from the women, the woman's perspective. Um, with my ex-wife, um, thankfully, I married a woman who I was able to have those conversations with. Uh, where when we first were married, she actually shared something with me that was very personal that could have been related to maybe how she felt about her sexuality at some point in her life. Mm. Um, and I did not judge her for that or have any really concerns at that time. Uh, but that was not a time for me where I was willing, ready to share how I felt about my attraction to men, but it was an important uh, time for us to be able to get connected as a couple. Um, and then I obviously, um, not obvious, I don't know why I said obviously, but I came out to my ex-wife a lot earlier than I came out to everyone else in my family. Mm. Uh, we had a conversation about a year after our first son was born where I was like, you know, we, we've been married for this long. We got married in the temple there's obviously no problems. Like we obviously no problems. It's interesting how, how LDS couples talk. Um, we are happy. Um, this is how I feel about men, but we've already made our decisions. We've already decided that this is our family. We're going to be happy. Obviously we don't have that many issues when it comes to intimacy. I never thought about other men when I was with my wife. That was never something that for me, I mean, if we're going to put a label on it, a lot of people would like to label me bisexual. That's fine. I have no issue with that. I have no issue with gay. I have no issue with any of that. Um, I let, My favorite label is my name, and I love when it's spelled correctly, Jubilee Media. That's weird. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I'm like, why did they spell your name like that? I, I mean, they spelled it exactly like Jillian, uh, but all of my correspondence, yeah. emails, yes, all my correspondence, emails, all of that. Flight information, D-I-L-L-A-N, perfect. <laughs> Just why? It was a little bit disheartening, but also it was really cool to be on the show. So I don't hold any ill will exactly, but <laughs> I really do like my name and that spelling. Uh, where were we? Yeah, sorry. You want to be not labeled <laughs> yeah. in any kind of box. Yeah, because it really is a spectrum Dylan. for me. It really is. And I know that's kind of hard because we all kind of even... Uh, leaving the church and, and kind of f finding community in different places, we do feel a little bit a sense of 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 safety to be put into a box that keeps us a little bit more safe. I'm just not ready to do that. So when I uh, had that conversation with my my wife at that time, it was just like we're just going to stay the course. We're going to keep going. It's fine. But it wasn't until uh, 2020 during the pandemic where I was working from home and having a little bit more time to myself. That I started just thinking about what does happiness look like for us two years down the road? By that time, we had two kids. What does um, five years down the road look like? What is 10 years? What about those certain cracks that are starting to come as a result of me questioning my faith in the LDS mm -hmm. church? Um, at that time, I had uh, read the CES letter, but didn't really allow it to fully internalize because mm -hmm. again like i didn't really let the the gospel really i didn't internalize the gospel very much which is also like there's a lot to unpack with that because i even served a mission and all of that but at that time it was just no i'm just gonna you know we weren't going to church regularly because it was the pandemic it was easy for me to take off my garments and not worry about that i didn't have any like special moments of loss and 
of giving it up. It was just like, oh, I can finally take these off and just wear regular underwear and not have <laughs> to wear like anything under my t-shirt. And it was just more of just like of a, a physical thing for me instead of like a very emotionally spiritual thing. But I can definitely hold space for people that that is a true loss for them. So it was all those things, culmination that, you know, and people would probably say like, well, that was a slippery slope because he was leaving the church. And now he's thinking more about, you know, his sexuality and blah, 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 how much Satan has a hold over him. At that time, I don't think I ever had as much feeling of being my authentic self, being my, my, being a true son of God than I, than I had at that time. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then there's always a catalyst, right? There's always something that is going to push people to make those really big life decisions. Yeah. And I was vacationing with my ex-wife, well, my wife at the time and my brother, and I got a, a Facebook request from a guy that I uh, served in my mission with. He wasn't a missionary, but he was in one of our wards. He worked specifically with our mission as like a media coordinator. And I've been a long time since we communicated, but very quickly we started a semblance of friendship but also he kind of approached it as my therapist and even my wife at the time knew that we were talking and we never let it get into anything romantic but i knew that he was attracted to men and i let him know that i was also um but he was more just kind of sharing how he felt about my my situation and, and um just kind of giving me like like not a shoulder to cry on, but just, it was, it was good therapy. Uh, but, um, I remember after I had had conversations with him, I was working from home one day and it was probably in about September of 2020. And I called my wife into the room and, um, I told her, I just like, I think I just need to have a physical experience with a man in order to either get it off of my chest, get it out of my system or like, this is it. And, to my ex-wife's ever long credit, it wasn't met with, you liar, you deceived me, you, all you want to go after is, you know, the flesh, the physical. She said, well, you know, Dylan, I think if you're going to have a physical experience with a man, it probably should be the one that you have already built an emotional connection with. Whoa. Mm. <laughs> That's like, like, wow. What? And I, and I, in that moment, and of course, so many other moments being the mother of my children and so many things beyond that, I know that I married a woman who God was like, this is part of your spiritual journey. This really is part of your spiritual journey. You're going to be a father. You're going to be a father to biological children. You're going to love them. You're going to love your spouse. You're going to love your ex-spouse. I just got so lucky, mm -hmm. so lucky. At the time, my wife was seeing a therapist as well. And she was a very pretty strict LDS therapist. So her counsel when she brought that up in her therapy meetings was, it's so cute that you guys have this fun little honest connection with each other and you're willing to share all these big, big things. But talking about this stuff with Dylan and how his desire is to share space with the man, whatever that means, you're going to have to separate. Mm -hmm. You're just going to have wow. to separate. And she came to me and she's like, this is what she said. She's like, we're building, we've, you know, we've built this wall according to our conversation with what you want in the future. And I have just continued this revolving door in this wall to let you keep coming in. So if mm -hmm. you want to do this, Dylan, if you want to go and have this experience, we have to be separated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
I totally understand that. That is fair. That is completely, um, that's, that's a good thing. Cause it, it would, it would, uh, it, it didn't muddy the waters as much, but then when we had those conversations, we would have, we could have more conversations. And then we were like, well, what if we just, and this sounds maybe a little bit flippant, but what if we just decided to just divorce? What if we just decided just to end it? Instead of getting a separation, a legal separation, and just like not going through the actual process, what if we just made the process not as shitty as people that have other, you know, had divorces mm-hmm, in the very past? Very amicable. Yeah. What yeah. if we filled out the paperwork together? What if we didn't get a lawyer? Mm-hmm. What if we just were like, what if we, what if I moved out? and continued to pay for our home that our kids are in with you, where you didn't have to go to work, where you didn't have to get a job, no daycare, nothing like that. What if we just built this picture that our family and friends are just like, there's no way this is sustainable. (laughs) When is the other shoe going to drop? And I'm telling you guys right now, the other shoe has not dropped. It doesn't exist. It doesn't because it is authentic it is honesty, yeah. it is connection, and it is not just based on living in a hypersexualized world and getting what I want, being selfish. That was the number one thing with well-meaning people is, Dylan, you're giving up your entire eternal family for what you want. And I got to learn so much about what it means to be selfish versus self-centered. And to know that my kids, my two boys, can come to me with anything that they need and have questions with later in life because their dad took the time to prioritize happiness, his happiness over anything else, but not at the expense of them or their mom, just to make it so he could have a story to tell about being authentic and happy. Wow. That is so beautiful. And I can't imagine the types of pushback and people judging your story, but Sounds like you absolutely were leaning into that authenticity and you have the the story to tell of what has come out of that. And it has been all of those beautiful things. I you, wish you put in the hard work and you're yeah. here to tell the story. Yeah, I wish that we would, but you know, hindsight's 2020, but we decided to call our family, our respective families, you know, while the paperwork was still being typed in and stuff. And of course, everyone was just like, don't do it. This is a terrible idea hindsight, we would have just been like, the papers are already signed. The divorce is final. We did right. it. It's done. You guys just get to process it on your own time. Yeah. Avoiding the opinions. Mm-hmm. Just, I have to comment on the emotional intelligence that you and your ex-wife have to be able to have those conversations, to be able to make that choice in such an amicable, beautiful, calm and collected way is just absolutely incredible and inspirational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the amount of communication just is incredible to see how you were able to work your way through that and do it in such an adult way that is modeling for your children. Look at how we can work together when we don't agree on something or when things just don't line up or when things no longer serve us and it's okay to change our minds and it's okay to do what makes us happy. Mm -hmm. That is such an amazing thing that you gave to your kids. Well, thank you for that. And, And going back to our previous conversation on your channel about certain quotes related to, you know, not being born this way or not feeling a certain attraction for as long as people do feel it. When I was watching, you know, Twister at age seven, like, and feeling that actual feeling and probably even earlier than that, um, it's a lot of people would say, well, 
there must have been something like you must have slept around behind your wife's back. You must have at least like sexted or sent dirty pictures to people on Facebook or something. None of it. I bet it all on what I felt inside. Yeah. And it could have been something where it's like, oh, I did this and yeah, it wasn't for me, but we had already made the decision to divorce. It wasn't going to be like, oh, Dylan, you go ahead and have this, but whenever you want to come back, just come back. No, it wasn't that. We were we were closing that door. We were, of course, maintaining our relationship as co-parents and, and everything like that. But no, we were closing that door. But I felt it so strong inside that I knew that this was the path for me. Mm. And the path for me was going to be after I had ended things amicably with my wife and I wasn't going to choose any other path. It was going to be honest and and have integrity. Yeah. So what would your kind of advice be? Because we're all conditioned in different systems and family systems. And like we've been talking about this propaganda in the episode with Shalise of these different messages in the culture. And what kind of advice would you have for people who might have been raised with a little bit more of a, a dogmatic view? They cannot have these conversations with their spouse and that they would be looked down on as the most selfish person in the world and all of those things. Like what gave you, was it like self-confidence? What is it within you that you tapped into um, that, that you feel like other people could try to lean on if they're so afraid to actually explore that kind of stuff that's been shoved down to the shadows? Such a good question. And I can only speak from my personal experience when it comes to how, how blessed I feel being the son of God that I am and how I know that he is absolutely aware of all the things that I have thought and processed and, and, and done and gone back and processed. And, and I just, I want to tell people that they really just need to listen to, it sounds so ridiculous. And it's, of course, it's a rock set song from the eighties, you got to listen to your heart. You really do. Mm-hmm. You you absolutely have to. You were created for a purpose. You're created to be happy. And this isn't one of those things like, well, the world tells you that happiness is one thing and church is a different thing. I still, to this day, hold on to so many values that I learned in the LDS church things that I taught on my mission that I still remember looking at and preach my gospel that had nothing to do with the doctrines of the church, the founding of the church, but just loving one another mm-hmm. and, and, and having the energy to connect with other people's energy and knowing that you can't always please everybody and you're not going to make everybody happy. This is, if anyone that is watching this is is kind of in one of these situations where they just don't know what their next step is going to be, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of self-reflection. You will have people in your corner, but not everyone's going to be happy with it. And some people are going to literally hit the wall. They're just they're they're going to lash out irrationally. They're going to have feelings and words said that they eventually will regret. But you're going to have to move on with your life and you're going to have to also extend grace and let them have the time that they need to process. Yeah. Extending grace to let other people process. Exactly. Yep. And you mentioned that you in that episode on, on Jubilee that like when when uh, tempers like I have more joy in Christ now and I think you're like I have plenty of joy in Christ. And I 
I felt like it was, and still feel like it's, it's, it's important for me to say that it really is. But of course people, you know, some people, especially the ward radio listeners would be like, you're trying to invalidate his happiness. But I think a lot of people on that panel, actually a lot of people on that panel, even John didn't even know I was married to a man until I said it. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's maybe a few tells. We're not going to get into semantics of, you know, the stereotypical gay or whatever. It doesn't matter. You weren't wearing your Britney Spears. <laughs> I don't even have one. I need one. Um, but I've never even been to a Britney Spears concert. I really, I don't know if that's even a possibility anymore. Uh, well, she puts on one every day on Instagram. Very uh, sad that's, ones. That's true. Those make me sad. <laughs> Love you, Britney. You're not right. Free but, Britney. Um, free Britney. Free Britney. Um, I just... They didn't know you were gay. I um, I didn't want to come across as someone who was invalidating happiness, but I do. I do believe in Jesus Christ in a, a different way than I than I did when I was a missionary, but also maybe not. Like maybe it was always the same. Just seeing him as a really cool guy who has um, the ability to see people for who they really are and love them. And I'm down with that. Why wouldn't I be down with that? That's yeah. that's authentic. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they would say that you're trying to invalidate his happiness. But if that were the case, then we would also have to say that he's invalidating your relationship with Christ. And, you know, saying that one cannot exist without the other or one cannot exist with the other, I guess, is a better way to say it. So I guess I'm wondering then, because we know your happy ending, we know that you're happily married to a man and you're living your authentic lifestyle. So for those watching who maybe want to transition into something like that and have a similar path as you, what was your dating experience like? Was it difficult? (laughs) Was it amazing? Was it all of the above? So that experience that I had with that man who definitely shall remain nameless. Um, <laughs> that was my first experience and it was something that I'll never forget and something that really validated my feelings towards my attraction to men. But that also ended very quickly, as quickly as it needed to. And it was a very uh, good thing because I didn't need to continue with that. Um, and then because I, I feel like I was just a little bit nervous to, you know, do the dating thing to have to get out there again after being married and have two kids and obviously have to share them dating profiles. Like I'm a father and some gay men are like, absolutely not. I'm not looking to do anything like have anything to do with kids. Um, I found Devin, my husband on hinge very quickly. Oh, that's where I found my Oh husband. my goodness. Hinge is a great app. The dating app designed <laughs> to is. be deleted. Exactly. The, the, the questions that they ask you that you get to put up and the answers to them are very like, you look at those profiles. You get to right? the point. Yeah. 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 Devin was very interested in the paranormal, the supernatural. Uh-huh. And his thing was always like, I don't believe everything that I hear about the universe, whether it's, you know, different gods, different religions, UFOs, whatever. But I have space in my heart to be able to process all of that. Yeah. And for me, when I when I first started dating him, I was very black or white with a lot of things. Like, there's just certain things that are true and certain things that are not. And uh-huh. he's like, it's a lot more complicated than that. And my husband has definitely helped me see a lot of the nuance around life and the universe. That's great. Consciousness, maybe? Yes. (laughs) The consciousness side of the story. How do you think you come out of your shell since meeting your husband and having him help you break down some of those black and white thinking things? Uh, Definitely meeting people on a more 
a platform of matching energies and being able to just understand that you might not be able to please everyone or uh, be besties with everyone. But when you do find those people, like even people in this room right now, um, you just, you kind of just find your people. You have the ability to communicate at a certain level. You can talk about certain things and not feel like you're, you're oversharing or sharing things that you just, that might offend someone. You're always going to have moments where it's like, Oh, could have said that better. Things could have been better. But I remember on my, my mission, I don't know how much time we have uh, on this, but I met a woman on my LDS mission in Houston named Catherine, and she has since passed away. When I met her, she was in her 70s. I remember getting to my area, and the area book was like, she's a she's not going to church anymore. She got baptized a few years ago. She's kind of fallen through the cracks, but we're going to go over there, and she's it's fun to talk to her, and just we're going to share lessons with her and get her kind of back to, to church. And I walked into her house with my companion, and I felt like I had stepped into a like a dream world of love and I never ever felt that before and I remember sitting on her floor on her carpet while my companion was teaching lessons to her and I was looking at her CD collection and I noticed that she had Enya in her CD collection I was like Catherine you like Enya and she's like Elder Conrad I love Enya. And it was just like, it was just little things like that. She very quickly became my soulmate for that experience at that moment in my life. And I know that I was sent to Houston, Texas for those reasons, not to baptize. I didn't baptize a lot of people. Houston, Texas, South, that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. But you know what's not hard is establishing friendships built on the energy that the universe and whatever cosmic entity has given inside of you to be able to build strong connections with people. Yeah. You're talking to the right crew right now. Yes. I was, I was able to speak at her funeral. Oh, really? I, I followed her, you know, after I got home from my mission in 2010, she came to visit my family. She was there for my homecoming uh, speech, my homecoming talk. We took her to Salt Lake to the conference center um, and I just kept conversation with her throughout the years with the phone and with email and stuff. But, you know, it was just, she was getting older and she had some health problems. But I remember when her sister called me and told me that she had passed away and, uh, we were just in the middle of transitioning from our first house that we were, that we, um, had bought to an, another house and we were waiting for all the things to, to go through. And I remember getting off the phone with her and she's like, well, if you want to come to the funeral, like you're more than welcome, but obviously you're going through a lot of things. you got two kids. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it, but it would be really awesome to be able to part of that. And I, as soon as I hung up the phone, a voice was like, you're, you're going mm-hmm. like, you're just going. There's that's funny that you actually <laughs> even told Emily, like that you're not like you're going. And I went on to, you know, Frontier Airlines and booked the cheapest flight that I could, had a three-hour layover in Denver, but I was there in Houston for her funeral. And there were probably, there weren't very many people there because she had had a very difficult life through divorce and losing custody of her kids because her husband was so awful to her. And I just thought, like, there are two, Her one of her sons had cerebral palsy and passed away pretty early, but there are two people on this earth still living today who have a biological mother in Catherine Ruhlman and do not understand 
the absolute joy and blessing that is. Mm. And I could not feel more sorry for them because I got to be, I guess, one of her, maybe even like her only like adopted son where we were so close on such a level of spirit and joy and happiness. And she validated all the things that I validated and she loved me for who I am completely Mm. unconditionally. Mm. That's so beautiful. And I wonder if that even laid the groundwork for you once you were able to establish these connections more deeply with people after you accepted your authentic self and, and showed you how to love Mm. unconditionally. It absolutely did. It absolutely did. I have a piece of her in me forever. She's always Mm -hmm. with me. Always. She's with me right now and she's watching this and she's like, damn Dylan, like you still like, you're still plugging away. This is your spiritual journey. And she's very proud of me. I feel very touched by that story. So thank you for sharing. And I think it also just really uh, uh, puts everything into perspective about what you said at the end when the question was on the Jubilee episode, do you, does the Mormon church do good in the world? And you're like, yeah, it's a net positive for me. And I could say it's a net positive for me. Um, Shalice, you can answer as well. <laughs> but I think stories like that, where it's like, it leads you to one thing leads to another leads to another. And you meet the people in life you're meant to meet. They yeah, kind of score things onto your heart and you might leave the church, the structure, the dogmas behind, but it gives you opportunities where you kind of have that Christ consciousness, that Christ-like love back and forth that can be given and reciprocated from people you never would have met. Yeah. And I think that's also a beautiful thing to point out, which is when you leave something that's harmful or it's harmful for you and it no longer serves you, it's okay to keep the good things. You don't have to discount it and no one's asking you to. I think that's a big reason why a lot of people stay and they don't leave because they think that the good, they can't discount the good by leaving, but you can leave and still keep the good with you. So I think that's a perfect example of finding the things that really resonate with you and not discounting everything, still recognizing spiritual experiences, relationships that were made and built, things that you learned and finding a lifestyle that's working for you and and helps you stay at peace and be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. And something I did want to say about that, if we have any more time, um, there are people, I believe, that leave the LDS church, especially in Utah County, where they feel like the pendulum needs to swing the other direction. Right, overcorrection. Yes, where they have to move to Salt Lake and they have to adopt a, a sense of community that honestly... There are extremes in every sense of community. I I really, when it comes to actual community, I can say that I am no longer a part of any community, any established community. My friends, my family that I, I choose to to keep with me, though that's that's my community. But when it comes to like sets of rules and perceptions of what you must show up as, don't tell me what to don't tell me what box I need to be a part of. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So for people right now that are listening to this and and will listen to this, there is going to be that trepidation when you also, when you, when you're coming out of a religion like the LDS church, uh, where you might feel like you're going to have to adopt a completely different personality, please listen to your heart, uphold your values. Your values are your values. Keep them 
And you can find people like I found my husband who has a wonderful active, some of his family is very active in the LDS church. They love, they adore, they, they feel uh, empathy and, and understand the things that people go through. They still, you know, worship how they want to worship, but you're, you, you can find people, you can find your people and you can find someone to love. Everyone gets a chance at that. Mm. Well said. So good. Love it so much. Um, do you mind if I ask a follow-up to that? Cause I, that's, um, that's also just a big passion of mine. I feel like we're connecting on so many things cause we haven't had such a long conversation before we just mm-hmm. kind of been DMing before we met today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, what Dylan's speaking to right now is between what you're saying about your mission and taking these values and meeting people to what you just said, I think it all really links well together with this whole entire theme of authenticity to not be so persuaded and manipulated by groupthink. And I think since, you know, Shalise is here and she has her. Can we almost just say like trading one cult for another cult? Yeah. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I think it totally it is. really is. Um, Cause there's been times at which like I've had to change my friend group and so forth just since I left the church and created a new friend group and had to leave one friend group for another. And it feels like sometimes uh, when we're talking about cults, we want to pinpoint just these institutions that controlled us and boxed us in. And if you leave that institution, you might not still not, you, you might not have the tools in which to recognize when you are being boxed in, but you feel like it's out of your own authenticity that you're, how could I possibly be boxed in? I'm not in that cold anymore, but there's <laughs> other ways that you cannot live authentic or live up to your values. And that's like what I hoped for my content going forward is a lot of the things that you just said is really tapping into the things that connect us to our values, to people. And yeah, that, that make us feel um, like we are, going back to the the roots of of who we truly are before the world got its hands on us like my favorite i'm obsessed with this uh gandhi quote right now or maybe it's a deepak chopra quote but it's about how happiness is when your thoughts feelings and actions are all in alignment and how many times in our life were you like those are all in five different places. <laughs> that's only three <laughs> things you know so that's kind of what i hear you saying right now throughout your 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 mission it's like what is a mission sometimes it's trying to love people authentically as christ would and you don't have to be um in the church or outside of the church or believe in a a literal like resurrected jesus christ or not but there's so many aspects of just tuning into what we doing unto others that we'd want to have done unto ourselves and i that i see in you that is just so evident and so beautiful i completely echo that and agree with that and you get to have it all i i get to be with my my kids, I get to have happiness and experiences with them. I get to have my relationship with my ex-wife. I get to have my relationship with my husband, with his family, my in-laws, my my you know my uh, immediate family, my siblings. We all. You just don't have. The only thing I had to sacrifice was something that never made me happy, yeah. and that's religion. It just never was a part of me. I think I was created, and and I it was just like. He's gonna try it. It'll be fun to see him, like mm-hmm. almost like like a like a a big guy like riding a little tricycle. Like he'll he'll try. He'll put on his little missionary name tag. I remember like hearing stories where like missionaries were like, when I left the state president's office and they told me to take off my name tag, a part of me just died. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting in that that uh, office and and it, after it ended, he was like, oh yeah, you gotta take off your name tag. And I was like, oh yeah, here you go. <laughs> 
like, it was, and again, I can totally have space and, and empathy for people that experience things like that. And the, the mission meant everything to them. The mission truly meant everything to me at that time, but for entirely different reasons that I was able to latch on to very quickly. And I'm so thankful for my experience. Yeah. Also in that positive. If you can read the screen right now, um, blimey Hermione 07 and said, what Dylan just said is making me cry. And I also feel feel good, happy emotions as well. And I think that you, somebody else also said that for not having a social media following, you sure are very articulate in your descriptions of your life. And (laughs) I talk for a living and I suck at it. So I feel like a lot of that has to do with growing up in theater and learning how to memorize things and memorizing movie quotes and and songs that I have only listened to maybe twice or three times. And my parents and family just being like, and no one wants to play scene it with me. Nobody wants to play movie (laughs) trivia games or any trivia games with me. So it's just... And I, and I I also remember that um, when I gave my admission um, farewell talk, one of my friends, I wanted to make it a challenge for her to count how many times I used the word um, because I didn't want it to be a filler word. Uh-huh. And I remember getting a piece of paper from her at the end with a had a zero crossed out. Wow. And was, I did not use the word um once in my, my farewell talk. And I was like, that's pretty cool. But, you know, every now and then you have to have a filler word or two. <laughs> did you... Um... Did you watch my response to the Jubilee video? I did. That's um, why I reached out to you. I'm like, I, this bitch, I get her. <laughs> yeah, I yes. love her energy. Yeah. Well, if you remember, John DeLynn had a youth leader. And his life was going to go in a couple different directions, he said, until that youth leader took him aside and said, John DeLynn, you're a star. You're a star. So that same youth leader, let's rewind it. One day, very theatrically told Dylan, you're going to be a star. Kid. You're going to be a star with a name and big lights on the nuance ho set. Cults to consciousness here in studio. Dylan, you're a star. You yes. don't even say um once. Bring your maroon shirt in this studio. <laughs> and 284 people are destined to tune in. You're a star, Dylan, you're a star. Last super chat. I Ready for my close up. Is... Thanks for the five bucks for Super Chat. Appreciate you, Mick. I uh, wish I had his grace when I left Jehovah's Witness and my marriage last year, but ever grateful to be out. Living authentically is worth it all. Um, Any comments on that? It's amazing to live authentically, to really be able to show up each day as your authentic self and not to... Uh, not to kowtow to anyone or anything really just enjoy your journey yeah thanks for sharing all of that with Thank us you. this was such a great conversation thanks for letting me yeah <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed getting to know you and your story and everything that you've gone through and like they were just saying with all the grace in the world and it's just very uplifting i don't often get to hear super uplifting stories they're usually pretty dark on our <laughs> channel i mean the end is always uplifting sure but this was a very nice conversation and so i just am grateful to be a part of it thanks care for having me yeah, join thank you yay thanks for having uh the time to fly out this weekend for my birthday yeah thanks ready to thanks party for doing this on your birthday Ooh, what else would i rather do <laughs> and jonathan over there appreciate jonathan hit the like button hit the Ooh, like hit the button hit the like button so yeah, I happy can, birthday Kara. one day thanks uh <laughs> one day i can be like close to consciousness and get that one hundred thousand black i'm almost at fifty thousand. i need yes. like 100 Ooh, more today subscribe everybody for my birthday well um i 
we'll end this podcast by saying it's worth it all because when I was a super Christian Jesus freak, I loved Christian music and there's a Meredith Andrews song that I listen to all the time about how like Jesus, you are worth it all has like a great key change and everything. And as soon as I left the church, I Tra- changed all of that worship about Jesus into like intellectual honesty and authenticity is how I still loved these songs. So when I saw the words like worth it all, it just like remembered how this journey is worth it all. And yeah. like, it's going to have its ups and its downs. But if you learn how to yeah, utilize tools that you're just never taught within the church of how to relate to your feelings, how to actually hold space for your emotions and not what other people expect from you and what they're running a whole totally different race that you do not need to be involved in. You're on your own path and your own journey. So this just really spoke to my heart and what I care about so much. So thanks for being so vulnerable and opening up about all of this. And you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Dylan, if anyone wants to reach out to you, is that anything you're interested in? Or are you just like, I have an an Instagram. It's Dylan Conrad, D I L L A N C O N R A D. Dylan Conrad. All right. I don't have a YouTube channel or anything like that, but I'm so thankful to be able to come on these channels and share my story. And you're really good at it too. You're star, Dylan, you're star. (laughs) And Shalice, our video is already down below that we just did in the description. But if you want to plug anything else about your channel and where people can follow you. Oh, uh, you can follow us at Cults to Consciousness. And we just tell cult survivor stories. So we do jump into Mormonism, fundamental Mormonism, um we're doing yoga cults right now which is very interesting so if Ooh, you very interesting yeah so if you like to hear all of the wild and crazy things in the world and how people overcame them and became happy and hear their consciousness side of the story jump on over to that um shalice has been an absolute pal that i have needed in this space so i love you does amazing work and helps me when i am feeling like giving up and i don't so our Never give up, Kara. You're amazing. Worth Love you too. It all. So thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Mormon History Hoedown. Woo! Obviously, it's my birthday today. And you, the gift that you wanted to give me is subscribing, liking, and following in this list of so many tasks that I have for you. Like going over to my patreon.com slash nuance and throwing some cash in my donor box links below all of that stuff. So if you just have enjoyed this content for a while and it's just something that you turn on now and then you're like, I'm not paying money for it. I'm not here to pressure you in anything. It's just as long as you're subscribed and you like and you leave a nice comment. That's all that I really ask because I do this so that I can have amazing conversations with amazing folks like this <laughs> and help grow this ex-Mormon post-religious community. So everybody have a good weekend and I will catch you on another episode of the Mormon History Hoedown. Love you so much. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.